This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger's been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I'm so happy, believe me. I'm so happy. Happy New Year. Con Giovanni, incredible. Dribble, 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 dribble. It's the history of the Tottenham. I have nothing to say. I'm so sorry, I have nothing to say. We've made it through to the other side. It's almost the halfway point of the Premier League season, and yet we still don't really know what will happen next. We tried to predict the holiday schedule of games, but this is no ordinary league campaign, and football has never been weirder. The Total Football Podcast wishes you a happy and healthy 2021. I'm your host, Egan Hart, and joining me is Andrew Conway. Hello. Andrew, what did you make of the last three rounds of fixtures? It's starting, like we, we, we've talked about a bit this, this season already, but the, it very much is starting to feel like a tournament uh, and not in a good way, you know, like an international tournament. That, you know, when you get to the middle, towards the end of an international tournament almost, you get very, um, you see a lot of tiredness on the, in, in the games. Like, it, it's not quite where it was last summer when, when the games restarted in front of no crowds and everyone was kind of just playing walking football because it didn't seem feel right. I think the players are used to it at this point, but they're not, I, I don't feel the same exhilaration or I don't feel the same acceleration even in the players on the pitch. Everything seems to be moving at a at a weirder pace and it feels very much like the, that cautiousness that creeps into international tournaments, which combines tiredness with kind of, as I said, caution. And almost every match has a bit of that now. You kind of see teams who fall behind not really being able to muster that energy to come back Teams that pull ahead being confident and sitting on those leads. Like, obviously, Spurs being the classic example of that so far in, in this Christmas period. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's been a strange enough Christmas. I don't remember one like it. Usually, it's a lot more swashbuckling at Christmas. But this hasn't really felt like that this year. Yeah, because normally we do see a bit of tiredness maybe towards the end of the fixtures because it is it is still quite intense at Christmas, even in a normal season. But I don't think we've ever really seen it be this kind of slow. Like, I think it was tw- there were only 12 goals in that midweek uh, round of fixtures that we had and like the 28th, yeah. 29th. And five of those were from Leeds. <laughs> yeah, um, one match had five of them. <laughs> Yeah. Like the, the the standard, like it wasn't that the players themselves were playing much worse or anything like they, I, I do feel bad for a lot of them that they, they've played a lot of football. A lot of the managers don't seem to be rotating as much. Um, I, I think yeah. we really saw that in, in, in even the weekend as well, even though there were more goals and the standard did kind of improve. Uh, and I thought it was interesting that like one of the teams that didn't actually play in that midweek round, uh, Man City, were actually maybe the most lively team I've seen uh, in a while in, in, in that win against Chelsea on Sunday. Uh, so like that, it, it is interesting now that there are games being postponed and then how teams have kind, kind of reacted to the fact that they even just get a one-week break. Like with the cup, cup rounds coming up, it'll be interesting to see like what managers just completely bin them, which I imagine will be most of them and will... Yeah. Will there be a kind of reaction to that then where everyone's a bit more fitter for the next few weeks after that? Fitter, I'm not sure. But like you did see the teams that got a bit of a break in there um, did perform better. You know, for all Jose Mourinho, you know, complaining about that full match getting called off. It kind of helped them, I think, at the weekend, not having that extra match in there. And I think it also benefited Man City greatly. They they looked fresher. They looked like they had a bit more stamina about them and they were able to kind of... Um, give a break to some of their some of their players even though there was ones that they were missing through sickness and 
an injury for for the match against Chelsea. They're they're yeah, you kind of saw that maybe other teams will benefit from having a similar kind of break for their senior players uh, this weekend coming. We did try to predict how those Christmas uh, fixtures would go. Look and, at how. Uh, well, we both had Liverpool to pick up. Uh, you had them to pick up nine points. I had them to pick up six yeah. points. They picked up uh, two out of that yeah. run of games. Uh, you know, uh, I had Leicester, Aston Villa, second and third. Uh, you had who was it? It was Tottenham and Leicester, second and third. Uh, you had Man United down at eighth. I had them down at fourth. They've ended up picking up seven points out of nine um, in a second. Uh, I think we both had our... You had Arsenal to climb a little bit, but they actually climbed up even more than that. Uh, and I had them to actually go down the way. So, uh, you know, there was a lot... You had, or I had Chelsea sixth. You had Chelsea in um, fifth. They're down in, what, ninth at the moment. So a lot kind of went on over those three, three round of games. Very hard to predict, it turns out, football. Yeah, as it turns out, you know, it's it's a strange it's a strange little game and you can never predict how you can never really predict how, how a lot of these a lot of these teams in the Premier League, especially this season, are going to perform. You know, you would have thought that Southampton result alone, given how Southampton have performed against other sides of similar standards, especially when they've got ahead in those matches, they tend to kind of sit in on themselves and, and reduce and eventually concede a goal. And they didn't do that against Liverpool. That that alone was a turn up for the Bucks. Yeah, I do want to just point out that uh, you know I did I did predict Southampton to get a result against Liverpool, but I did not expect Liverpool to drop points at home to West Brom and away at Newcastle, two of the worst teams in the league. Uh, so I suppose we crack into Liverpool and the those three games. Like uh, you know, what is the cause of this poor form? Like what's going on there? Well, like I thought they played quite well against Southampton. Like they just they they just lacked that killer edge. I think Sadio Mane is lacking a goal like mad and I think he made poor decisions in his chasing for a goal um, I don't know why he feels that he's so maybe because he's fallen behind Mo Salah in the goal scoring race this season early on but he seemed to be making poor decisions taking shots on when they weren't on and not making the passes in, in exchange for maybe creating a better result for him um, elsewhere in the team like the, we, we've talked about their injury problems their injury concerns not having that massive squad um, that kind of benefited them in in recent years when they were able to keep a tight unit, but it's obviously starting to catch up with them. I I think it's inevitable, and we we said it. It's the way the fixtures are lining up this year. I it, there isn't. Well, I still think Liverpool are the best side in the league, and they will go on to win the league. They're not going to do it at the same pace and and at the same level and the same execution, say as last season or the even the year before when they got nearly hundred points. Um, they are going to lose matches. They're going to drop points, and it's just the the quirk of the fixtures that I think they've lo- they've dropped points at this point in time that they've, they've dropped them to Southampton, they've dropped them to Newcastle, and they dropped them to West Brom. You know, I think it's just it, it's what's happened. You know, yeah, I think this run of poor form at the moment just kind of highlights how uh, unique their their run last season was like they they were just so infallible uh last season yeah. that, that it, it now that they you know go on a pretty normal run of oh you know they go a couple games of the draw and they lose a game here and there like that that's a pretty normal thing to happen to a team yeah. even one that wins the league um like it just goes to show the extreme of how good they were last year that now it's suddenly a crisis that they've suffered just a couple of points like they're still top of the table on goal difference and um, they still as you say look the part for for the most part like they played i thought well enough against um 
against Southampton, uh, you know, a good Southampton side as well, it must be said. Like they 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 themselves are on a bit of a poor run, but they they have been quite good this season, Southampton and, and yeah. Asenoodle, like it obviously meant a lot to Asenoodle with Yeah, that the, was bizarre Asenoodle breaking down in tears. I did not get that at all. Because like he's played Jurgen Klopp before in football. Um he's played Liverpool before at football. It wasn't that like it wasn't like an even an Inter Milan Barcelona type of match like the, where you know they gave everything to win it or it was very much a solid defensive performance battling Liverpool playing counter-attacking football similar to what they did against Spurs and Arsenal now I suppose they didn't get the results in those matches earlier in the season but yeah it it it, it struck me as bizarre that he broke down like that yeah, it did. It did obviously jump out at me. I was I was quite surprised by it. He's on the um, ground on his knees, like it, it. It. I could see how it could look weird, but I think it was just a natural reaction to to getting a big win. Like I think it was a very tense last twenty minutes there. So I suppose it was a cathartic release of finally the final whistle going off, and it was the first win over Jurgen Klopp as well, and and a win over the champions. So it was a big win for them after. As I said, I think they went four games without winning, so they they kind of needed a result as well at the same time. Um, I yeah. think they hadn't even scored in their in their three previous games before that, so like it was a big result for them as well. Um, with no, I think this is their first game as well with no fans since because uh, they had fans in for a few games before like Everton, so um, maybe that all kind of came together. And he he'd have to self isolate and he missed the last game because of it as well. So I think it was kind of a confluence of things coming together for that kind of reaction, but. Uh, in terms of Liverpool, like yeah, I I agree with your assessment of Sadio Mane. Like he got a couple of goals against Palace. Like it has to be remembered that they absolutely demolished Palace seven nil. Like not that long ago. Um, so I think a lot of it does just come down to the fact that they are tired. Like they're playing against sides as well that are that are really uh, upping their game for performance. Like look at West Brom's results since Big Sam has come in. They lost three 0 to Villa, four 0 to Arsenal, five 0 to Leeds. But they got that one all draw at Anfield. So, like, you know, there is an element of teams maybe upping their performance against the champions, oh, yeah, which is natural. Bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, there's, there's the reaction to that as well. And the fact that they now play Villa on, on Friday in the Cup and then have a week off uh, while other teams play. Like, I think Man United played three more times between now and the, and, the, and the game against each other, whereas Liverpool play that Villa game. So, like, they, they will be rested. I think that Man United performance, or that Man United match, rather, could be a... A kind of return to form for them. Um, so the, that I think that game will be the test of them, really. Yeah, yes and no. Like two two things on this. Like the last defeat in the league was against Aston Villa. They've only lost twice this season. Am I correct? Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. And the Aston Villa match seemed to be a freak. There seemed to be everything that could go wrong. Kind of went wrong in that team. They didn't have good performances. Other than Mo Salah. To be said, like. Aston Villa are a good side. Like it wasn't like they lost to a relegation fodder side. No, they didn't. They didn't. This match is a bit different to that in that they they didn't necessarily play badly. It's it's just one of those matches that happens. It's just like Southampton had a good game plan. They took their chance early on in the match, and Liverpool weren't able to come back at them for a variety of reasons. Poor decision making, as we said up front, not creating it. Like they created a fair amount of chances in that game. I know they didn't have a shot in target until late on in the match. But I, you know, that 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 can be a bit of a fallacy. That 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 statistic sometimes, like they have plenty of chances, they just didn't necessarily get them between the two sticks. And Fraser Foster is a big guy that comes out a lot of the, he. I've noticed about Fraser Foster as well. Like compared to when he was last in the team, he is coming out a lot more. I know he used to like playing on the edge of his box. I remember he got caught out against Manchester United one year for doing so just that. Um, but he he does seem to be like a, a sweeper keeper, and I think it's something. 
uh, Hasenhutl has definitely kind of nurtured in him that he was definitely very active coming out and playing that extra defensive role, really. And I think that kind of helped, and Liverpool weren't necessarily expecting that either. Poor finishing and and and, and poor decision making, which can happen to any team and any amount of players. So I think, I think, you know, rumors of Liverpool's demise might be a bit of an exaggeration at this point. I think they've had a tough week. They're tired. They didn't play that well, but I still think they're 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 leaders in 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 the title race. I know they are officially and literally, but I mean, I still put them as the favourites. The other comment I have to make is it's Manchester United, their to- closest challengers. Do you honestly believe that Manchester United could, like, their level on points, they'll take it if they win their next match in hand, they'll go clear at the top of the league. But do you honestly believe that they can keep and maintain a better record than Liverpool between now and the end of the season, even if they get that result against Liverpool or get a draw or something against Liverpool in a few weeks? I don't think so. Yeah, I suppose we'll, we'll talk about Man United now because they they picked up seven points from I would say three tricky games like not like no big yeah, yeah. games but against good sides like Leicester Wolves and then uh, Aston Villa the draw coming against Leicester like and it was a it was a last minute uh, equaliser as well albeit the the second goal for Man United was also pretty late so um, like that I think their their performances in those games were generally solid like I think at this point in time Man United I think solid is a pretty decent word to describe them like they. They aren't spectacular, but they aren't dreadful in the way that they have been. Like, I think they've kind of figured out, you know, I think Solskjaer deserves actually a bit of credit for the way he's rotating the side, uh, which was actually a criticism of him last season where he wasn't rotating the side at all. Uh, if you remember when they came back yeah, and yeah. finished the season uh, after the break, they played the same starting 11, I think, seven or eight times in a row. And by the end of that run, you could it, you could tell those players had started seven or eight games in a row. Uh, yeah. So he's actually he's changed that up now. Maybe maybe he's learned from that, or maybe he just thinks that his squad is better now, considering that they were able to bring yeah. in players in the summer. Maybe it's a combination of both. I'm not sure, but uh, you know, other than I do get wary though for Bruno Fernandez, who seems to be playing every game, and Marcus Rashford. Like they have been given rests here and there, but they're they're definitely being relied upon in a way that could backfire on them. Um, you know, as I say, they have three more games between now and when they play Liverpool. So, like, any number of things can happen between now and then. Um, at the very least, they will be level with point, on points at Liverpool when they go into that game because two of those games are... Uh, one of them's a League Cup semi-final, one of, them's, one of them's against Watford in the FA Cup. So, not the most taxing FA Cup game there either. But, uh, you know, I, I think at the moment, Man United look like they will finish in the top four. Uh, you know, they seem to... Have, oh, yeah gotten away from the kind of inconsistent form that we're seeing now from the likes of Chelsea and Tottenham, who <laughs> it has to be remembered just a few weeks ago or up yeah. where Man United are now. Um, and I think so, that merry-go-round will go around again. before. I, 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 I think so as well. Like Man United, I think, will be due bad results, whether that starts at Hanfield yeah. or not. I mean, it could start at Turf Moor as well, which is they play Burnley for that game in hand that they have. Um, so Ben Foster's you know, GoPro goal <laughs> could happen <laughs> against, against Watford, you know? Guess his former side as well, of course. Uh, yeah, he's a Man United graduate, academy graduate, I believe. So, uh, yeah, it's hard to really be too big on Man United because you know you you just don't trust them. <laughs> you know, uh, no. like there's been there's been times in the past where it looked like maybe things are starting to work out, and then they just go backwards. So, like that that could easily happen here as well. Um, but I I do think you know it's worth highlighting that Bruno Fernandez has been pretty great this season, uh, and it is a big reason why uh, they've been performing better like they have more points at this stage of the season than they've had in in any of their post-Ferguson seasons except for I think the year Mourinho got second 
Um, so like they they are better than they've been. Um, which again, low bar and all that. But uh, Bruno Fernandez has been at the center of that as well. He's he's been very good. Yeah, he has. <clears throat> the yeah the to go back to your original point, and I kind of think it ties into this. And you you know more about Manchester United than I do, but you know when you said that oh you know he's starting to rotate the team. Like Solskjaer always smells of me like a, a a first eleven manager, and that that he's good at. And you know, in in decades gone by, I think that would have been enough for him to garner quite a bit of success. And he and he does in smaller leagues, as we've seen with Molde in in Norway. But at United, you're saying he's rotating his team. Is he really though, or has he settled on a new first eleven? Uh, well, most games now are when the lineups come out. You see that they've made four or five changes on the game before. There are players there like. McGuire, but a, a lot of like, goals are enforced, you know. Like if we're going back to, the I, I don't know, I don't know, are they? Because or... we we've seen we've seen you know Cavani and Martial kind of swap roles. Obviously, Cavani will miss uh, the next two games for his uh, ban, but like we've seen those two rotate in and out. We've seen uh, James, Daniel James, coming to the side. Juan Mata was getting a run out at the start of the season. Uh, Eric Bailly, yeah, Eric Bailly's back in. He's you know, that's an important, but that was enforced from injury. It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't though, because he was getting a couple games in kind of being eased back in from injury. And then Lindelof got injured and that kind of forced him to be yeah. playing 90 minutes every game. But I think he would have still been bringing by in for a game or two. I think he would have probably played one of those games as opposed to all three uh, if Lindelof was available. Yeah, yeah. No, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I just felt that like he was kind of rearranging his first 11 in that like Pogba's back fit, Wan-Bissak is there. But Wambasaka did get um did get a couple of games off as well, which I never saw any explanation for, so I assume he was just being rested. Um Luke Shaw and Alex Talese seem yeah. to be trading starting roles every game at this point. But I, yeah, but I feel that like th- those type of changes I'm feeling are you know, the players that, like Luke Shaw's being replaced. That's how I feel about that. It's the same with I, I don't know about that because like uh I think it was the Wolves game, Talese started the Wolves game, then came off at half time and then Luke Shaw came on and started the next game after that against Aston Villa. But is that is that to do with like fitness concerns if you come off at half time? You see these these are unknowns we have at the moment. Yeah, it's 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 interesting, but I think either way, well whether it's forced or not, I think it's a uh, I think it's benefiting, man. You know, like Paul Pogba oh, yeah, missed is, yeah. missed games there before the Christmas break, um, and is now seemingly back in the starting eleven. Like I think yeah. being given that rest, I think helped him because he has performed better in the last few games. Like he had that uh, lovely game, a uh, lovely few passes that led to goals in in the Sheffield United game. He played quite well against Aston Villa as well. I thought. Yeah. Um. So like he is starting to come into form. Whether or not that's to do with the fact that he also is looking for a move. Uh, yeah. It could be another element to that as well. So, um, you know, I think the opposition plays into it as well. I think United's best performance over this break was the first half against Leicester. I don't know if you agree or disagree. I think they were the best side they played. I think Aston Villa flattered to deceive and they very much looked not out of their depth, but they looked like you were playing a, a top half of the table side against the bottom half of the table side in their in their kind of just pound for pound player versus player, the those individual jewels. Just the Man United players are a better quality than the Aston Villa players. They they scruffed them off the ball a few times, and and I I, I felt that that kind of was end, endemic of the whole match uh, against Wolves. I think Wolves are in a very weird place at the moment, especially without Raúl Jiménez. They can win a match or they can lose a match at the drop of a hat. We don't you don't know what Wolves team are going to show up, but Nuno Espirito Santo is definitely setting them up with a defense first mind and. Eventually, if you play that ma- that type of game for a whole match, it's going to catch up with you. And I think that's what it did against United. I think United kept knocking on the door of a, a team that would have had everyone behind the ball and eventually they got through. 
Um, but against Leicester, to, they did just to go to that. More. Just to that Wolves game, sorry to interrupt, but uh, I, I think that game is actually quite significant because since Wolves have come up, um, and they've been quite good since they've come up, uh, Man United have gotten three draws and one defeat in that run. Like they've, they, yeah. Wolves have been a tricky side for, for Man United, and for obvious reasons. Like They play uh, a, a style of football that has often been said is the easiest way to stop Man United is playing that good, tight, defensive football, yeah. and Man United can't break you down. Um, yeah. And in this game, I think obviously fitness, I think, played a role. And that, I think, is to Solskjaer's credit that they were able to do this. But once the 70 minute came around, they did kind of up the tempo again after the game had kind of slowed down. And, they, and I think that kind of tired out Wolves. And ultimately, Rashford actually spoke after the game and said that he noticed um, Kilman had a cramp and he took advantage of that and just yeah. ran at him. Uh, and that's Kilman ended up suffering another cramp after that as well, I think, and it ended up being deflected off the goal. Like, they got a slice of luck, but it, it came from um, a very clever play from Rashford that, that he was yeah. able to do that, and it came from, I think, a, a set game plan that once it hit the end of that game, they were going to up the tempo a bit and see could Wolves keep up, and Wolves eventually wil- uh, wilted and weren't able yeah. to keep up. So I think that's to their credit as well. Yeah, it's just, it, it, it sparks concern in me that they weren't able to generate or create anything in any of these matches for the most part because every one of their goals in these matches and correct me if i'm forgetting something they kind of came from those type of um a player taking an opportunity on rather than a systematic way that's that's just my feeling with Solskjaer all the time i think his his teams win not that they win in spite of him but they don't win because of him yeah, I, I don't know. Like it, 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 I think football is in a weird place where it's almost gotten to the point where if you don't play an attacking system, then you must be a fraud. <laughs> it seems well, to be the way. Like this, this, the, you know. Nuno Espirito Santo set out his team to play a certain way, and it's not attacking. But I don't think it's. I don't it, think they're not. You know, I think that that's a way of playing, and it's a systematic way. And his players team, know that way. A team doesn't need to play with a, a coherent attacking plan to score goals because football you know football players can figure it out like that has been a way of doing it in the past yeah, yeah. and it's gone out of style does. it is yeah. what Mourinho does and I think setting out the players and giving them the freedom to attack in a certain way actually helps benefit Bruno Fernandes because I don't know how well he would actually play in a set system because his whole style is so gung-ho like if you look at his um his pass map you can see that basically all his passes are forward like his, his first thought every time he gets the ball is to give it forward um, yeah. to to the detriment of maybe the team sometimes. Like it, one of the concerns before he was signed was that his passing statistics were way down. He would only have a seventy percent pass completion rate, but that's actually because he's pushing the ball forward. He's trying to make things happen, and and we're seeing how that's actually benefited Solskjaer in this system of kind of giving the players freedom. Uh, and I think with any other player, maybe that wouldn't work. Uh, but I think given the kind of player Fernandez is, I think that actually tends to suit Man United that they don't play kind of in a set attacking way that maybe uh, um, a Liverpool or a Man City would. Um, but I think that's yeah, a very but... unique thing. And I, I don't think, and I think to go back to your original point, I don't think United are the title challenges, obviously because they're level on points at Liverpool. We have to bring them up as that now. And obviously because they play Liverpool uh, in Liverpool's next game, we have to talk about comparing the two right now. But I think... They they could end up being a bit like Chelsea in the thirteen fourteen season where they are like comfortably better uh, than kind of the teams around them and can get third place, but they won't be in the actual title race come the end of the season. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm coming to agree that like as we said at the beginning of the season, it's somewhat similar for Chelsea, even if they're in down in the doldrums right now. With the squad they have, the you know the kit man should be getting Champions League football for them. So 
you, it, it's the status quo is again to that top four. But if they can kick on any more of that, that's the the sign of the the management of the club, I suppose. And then just to go on to Chelsea, they've, as you said, have slumped out of the doldrums. They're ninth place in the table. They lost 3-1 to Arsenal. They lost 3-1 to Chelsea. They drew one all with Aston Villa. They had poor form going into the Chelsea, into the Christmas break as well anyway. Like, what, you know, where well, where, stand, where do they stand? <laughs> but, true. Um, but well, that's where, their only top-quality team they've beaten this season. Leeds, if you, if you consider them a top-quality team, even though, you know, they are where they are in the league at the moment, I... I do like Leeds and the way they play and obviously Bielsa and, and some of the players, but they are limited in what they can do given the, 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 the names on the team sheet. So the only big team they've beaten this season is... is Did they beat Man City earlier in the season? Or is that last no, season? The, that, that was, that was the, this fixture last season was the one that confirmed Liverpool as champions. That was the one they beat City yeah. in. So in terms of teams in the table, they haven't beat anyone that is above West Ham, as they say, or 10th. Um, so... Like that is concerning. They're immediately after the the Man City result, the Athletic uh, pretty ruthlessly put up a piece saying yeah. that uh, Chelsea are considering looking at alternatives to Frank yeah, Lampard's they manager. Information there, no doubt that they, they, they were waiting to press the publish button on that one. Like, there's no doubt about that. Um, uh, but but do you think that would be justified if, if Chelsea were to get rid of Frank Lampard at this moment? Like it, it depends on what you want, want from a club. You know, we we've talked about Solskjaer at United. We talked about Arteta at Arsenal. You know, and the the trials and tribulations they've had over the last few years. Frank is no different. You know, do Chelsea want to win the league? Do they want to win the Champions League? They're not going to do with Frank Lampard in this current league. Like they're they don't. He's not going to compete with Pep and Jurgen Klopp at the top end of the table. You know, in terms of tactically outwitting the opposition, getting a run of games together, just steamrolling the league. So th- then the question becomes, well, is there someone that can be do that better? Or is that actually what we want from this Chelsea team? Do we, or do we want to, you know, nurture youth, cultivate a fan appreciation, become the club of the people? And maybe Frank Lampard can do that. But you, I don't think he can achieve both of those goals. And it, it comes to the ownership of Roman Abramovich. What does he want to achieve with this Chelsea team at this point in time? What, what is his plan for the next three to five years? Because if, if it is to win trophies... At a at a at a good rate, as if it is to conquer Europe again, if it is to to make Chelsea be something, you know, miraculous, for lack of a better phrase, I don't think Frank Lampard's the man for that. Yeah, just kind of thinking about this now, over the last few days, and Lampard is, has been part of a trend lately that we we've talked in depth about a lot. I think is uh, bringing in X pros and yeah. legends of the club to come in and manage and obviously we were just talking about Man United they have Solskjaer Arsenal have Arteta who's maybe not so much a legend of the club as he was just a kind of well-liked kind of maybe cult hero of the team yeah. I'd say would and, probably and, be a and better like Liverpool have been doing it for decades There's yeah and, and well-worn path of this and and obviously Juventus as well brought in, in but the, yeah, the key here is that they're that they're Redan. inexperienced. Like I know some people talk about the fact that Solskjaer had the experience of being in Norway, but he's inexperienced at this level, which yeah. is what really matters. And it's the same, of course, with Arteta's first job, this is Lampard's second job. He'd only done one year at Derby. But when I think about why those teams went for that, like you know, Man United were just looking for an interim. They went with a guy who got the club. You know, it's it that that's kind of been the. The kind of mantra around why some of these have come in, or it's it's not necessarily the sole reason why they've come in. I don't think it's necessarily why Arteta was chosen, yeah. but I think it, it's usually seen as a kind of advertising slogan to kind of get fans on board. It's like, oh, they get the club, they understand why it's like this, and this was a big thing with Frank Lampard of like, oh, he gets the style and the culture of the club, 
But when you actually think about the the Chelsea team that he played for, they never had a, a direct style. There was no ethos of the club. It was ruthless. They sacked Scolari. They sacked Every Roberto Di Matteo. Yeah, yeah Andrew Villas-Boas. They were a team that were about getting results. And Lampard last season, he, he got the result of getting them into fourth place despite, you know, whatever going on. And they he promoted the youth, which was kind of like a bonus. Uh, you know, they got fourth place while playing in the youth and they didn't get absolutely humiliated in the Champions League even though they did lose out pretty badly to, to Bayern Munich. Who, they, they went on to win the trophy. It was an understandable defeat. Yeah. But now, yeah. you know, Chelsea, they're a results-based club. They aren't getting the results now. I, uh, and, and I guess, yeah, they've spent a lot of money. That's that's the big thing. Last year, Frank Lampard could say, oh, the transfer ban. You know, they still circumvented it and brought in, you know, a couple of players. Despite that, um, you know, they were smart. They got ahead of it, brought in Kovacic and Pulisic, and they got around it. Um, but overall, they didn't really spend any money last year because they weren't allowed. They weren't allowed bringing in anyone that Frank Lampard specifically asked for. Like they, he took Kovacic because Kovacic was available, and Pulisic was signed when Sarri was still manager. So he didn't get to implant uh, his players into the team. So it was understandable that you know you couldn't expect too much. He was, the, I think, he was the first Chelsea manager since Mourinho in 2007 to retain his job after not winning the league. But it was understandable. But this year now he's spent a, you know he's been at the helm while they've spent a lot of money yeah. like way more than anyone else. Their football hasn't been great. They're and they're not getting results. So at this point, like it seems like they're giving him time to try turn things around. But uh, you know I I can see why they'd be they considering getting rid of him at this point. I, I I thought a month ago it was quite absurd. There are a few rumblings that maybe his job is under threat. But the the form in the last month has just been terrible. And you know when. <laughs> It's a big test now. Like if he if he can turn it around, then then fair enough. They'll probably keep him till the end of the season. But like, do you really think Frank Lampard can turn things around? I t- turn what define turn things around? Like as we said, the kit get man results. Get but the kit man should get Champions League football with the, with this squad. And they, given the way this season is so weird, they could necessarily get third place even <laughs> with it. Um, is that is that considered okay? Is that considered satisfactory success for spending? However many hundreds of million they spent on uh, over the summer, and however much they're going to spend at Christmas now, and without what return, what are they going to get for some of the players they're going to offload? I don't know. It wouldn't be for me if I was Roman Abramovich. You see, the the thing is, we we're talking about Solskjaer, Arteta, um, etc. There, um, and and the, and the cult of personality kind of being given the job rather than the, by a managerial ability. The cult of oh, we're in, we we as owners are insulating ourselves from criticism by appointing, or we as a chief executive more like in, in terms of Manchester United we are insulating ourselves from any kind of um, abuse or any kind of blame by putting someone you love in charge of the club so if it's if it's if you have a problem with the way Manchester United play for instance you're going to blame Ole Gunnar Solskjaer you're not going to blame Ed Woodward I think that was why Solskjaer was appointed because there was other options he could have gone for there indeed even for an interim status there could there was other coaching options within the club that could have been immediately put in there and taken out of very quickly under 23 coaches you know various things like that that were already inside the infrastructure similarly at arsenal they they appointed someone who they thought would like okay you hate us for appointing the last manager we floated the possibility of appointing nuno espirito sante and that was rejected by them by the the twitter media so we're going to appoint someone who like a guy that that talks well and and was a good player for the for the team in a bad time Mikel Arteta and that has insulated the ownership from that from that decision as well it is almost Real Madrid did it with Zidane as well in a in a in turbulent time after Rafa Benitez um 
and and it's it's a way of running business. But if you look at the most successful clubs in Europe, they tend not to do that. Like some have had dalliances with it, have have had uh, experiences of trying to do that. Like I think Bayern Munich did it with Jurgen Klinsmann back in like two thousand and eight. Well, whenever whenever they appointed him, and uh, you know Juventus are currently doing it with Pirlo, and we can see it's not really working out that well for them. Although they are winning a lot of matches, they're not really convincing in a style. You see the best clubs in Europe and even the best clubs in the UK in 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 England say are do not adhere to that. You look at Leicester City appointing Brendan Rodgers because he was the best coach. They could have appointed Wes Morgan as coach and like got the fans behind the team, but they didn't. They appointed the better manager. Uh, Liverpool obviously have appointed Jurgen Klopp after doing this in the past with the likes of of Graeme Souness and Kenny Dalglish on a number of occasions. Actually went for the the managerial appointment rather than the the fan appointment. And Man City obviously don't care what the fans think because they can do whatever they want and they also have the best manager in, in Pep Guardiola. But they wouldn't dream of appointing a, a fan favourite player to a coaching role because the fans want it. They can do what they want and they don't care. And that's worked for them. Um, I, I, I think Chelsea are in, like, are in more of the position of, uh, of Man City-Liverpool and in, in traditionally in the past they, they do make ruthless decisions. I think this is slightly different because Frank Lampard is friends with Roman Abramovich and it's a it's a little bit of a different situation, and I think to preserve that friendship, I think Frank could be given the rest of the season, and then removed from the position if if Chelsea do, even if they do qualify for the Champions League again. Yeah, because realistically, going into the season, like I think most people didn't quite expect Chelsea to immediately win the title, but they would have expected them to be where Man United are now, which is level on points at Liverpool, putting pressure on those teams and being in the conversation. Uh, even just at the midway point of the season, as opposed to in ninth uh, and and yeah. well, so like Arsenal yeah. are nearly on top of them, and Arsenal have had a disgraceful season. Yeah, and, and you know Ar- Arsenal's form did improve over the break. It started with that three-one win over the Chelsea side, and, and like, where where do you think that kind of stems from Arsenal's uh, improvement of form? Well, it, you can fairly obviously attribute it to the change of personnel on the team, like. Uh, in the summer, it was like basically a lot of journalists were informed by Arteta and others at the at the top end of the club that they would change the way the style of football they were going to play um, to go to a four three three system. And then when things start, started going badly earlier in the season, Arteta switched that four three three system, yielded a couple of results, like the Manchester United game, I believe. But then obviously it went downhill from there, and the performances got worse, and they went on that losing run effectively of what, four or five games in, in a row losing. Um, and Arteta eventually decided not to abandon the system, but to in- instead abandon the players that he had stuck with, the old pros, the Williams of this world, the David Luizes of this world, and bring in youth. And I think that kind of um, hunger and desire from these young players that have, that have come in, some returning from injury, like Mar- Gabriel Martinelli and uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, and then Saka as well being thrown into the mix there, have kind of changed things around for them. I'm not sure how long term it is or how sustainable it is as a as a tactic, but in the games they played so far against Chelsea, they were quite convincing up to until except for their defence really. And against West Brom, they were dominant and, and got a good good run of the rub of the green, if you will. And and against Brighton they were confident in a way they haven't been in in a lot of uh matches recently, particularly against Brighton. They were solid. Um I don't know if that's sustainable at the moment. It it certainly is good for them that they've they've managed to kind of wean at, wean out these victories. I I I for one expect them to lose to Chelsea and probably have a tough time against um, West Brom and even 
or Brighton and even West Brom. But as it turns out, they 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 kind of glided through them effortlessly. Yeah, like the the Chelsea game was strange because it came out initially that a couple of players were missing due to uh, positive coronavirus tests and even just close contact with other uh, positive cases. Uh, so that that kind of immediately made things kind of slightly strange. Uh, you know, Gabriel, a centre-back, was and William were the two people, I think, that missed that game. But then, you know, Gabriel Marinelli came in. Um, then they got that. It was the first goal of that penalty. Um, then Grant scores that really good free kick. And then Saka scores the kind of Crazy cross. Goal, yeah. yeah, the cross. Of cross end shot, yeah. 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 So I think that did kind of put a gloss over the performance. Like they, they played better in that game for sure. And I think they ultimately deserved to win that game. But it, it wasn't a, it, it wasn't a, you know, a huge victory in the way that three one victory over Chelsea might seem. No. Uh, and then, then like that, the Man City victory over Chelsea, for instance. Yeah, exactly. That that was a different that was a whole other different story that we'll get to. But then the Brighton game, I thought, you know, Brighton actually, you know, obviously I, I'm quite fond of this Brighton team, but I think they did Brighton start that game quite well, and they were probably the better team in that first half overall. It was close, and then in the second half, Arsenal just looked way better for whatever reason. Um, you know, they just took total control. Once they scored, then it looked done and dusted. Did they, did they get a second in that game? I can't remember. Um, no, but then, no, I think it was one nil. Yeah, then then that West Brom game, like West Brom, they were just significantly better than um, uh, for. You know, it could be a, a little bit of Arsenal improving and West Brom uh, getting worse, and then that comes together and Arsenal end up being much better than West Brom in, in total. But uh, ultimately, I do think uh, you're right to kind of question the sustainability of it because the three games are a bit weird. They're very close together. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's obviously much better than they've been, but the that was a very low bar. And I think now that they, 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 they will be fine, I think they'll they'll continue to pick up decent results here and there while also picking up bad results here and there, um, which I think is fine for Arteta yeah. for the season. If they finish eighth again or ninth again, that's not a total disaster for him because the club is under such turmoil around him and yeah. there's so much upheaval that's needed in that squad that I think just him steadying the ship for another season while getting rid of players and bringing in better ones will, will be um, would be progress for them. Yeah, I have two questions for you just on the Arsenal topic. One, what do you consider a you know what do you consider acceptable would be the word for Arsenal this season? What like what you know last season they won the FA Cup, finished I don't know where they finished in the end seventh think, or eighth as you said. Yeah, I think it was eighth that they finished last year. Yeah, but the FA Cup kind of glossed over a lot of things. You know, getting that trophy kind of does help got them in the Europa League as well so like that, that was kind of, yeah the the big thing so uh, what your... would you consider success this year okay so just going to, okay um so I think success for Arsenal it's a bit more philosophical than I suppose at Chelsea where I think you know success has to be delivered in trophies uh and to an extent the same with Man United where success now needs to be delivered in trophies I think Arteta yeah it it's hard to say that he's earned the right to deserve time because he's got no CV to kind of back that up, that he, he can turn things around. But I think with these results now, he, he's kind of showing what progress can be for Arsenal this year. Is they, they are playing a bit nicer football now. They, are, they aren't just lumping in 48 crosses or whatever it was into the box and hoping one of them goes off someone's head. Like they, They're starting to figure things out. You know, his players are kind of coming back from injury as well. Lacazette scoring a couple more goals. Saka's figuring things out on the right and Marinelli's back from injury so 
I think if they can continue to steadily improve on the pitch while maybe not necessarily getting the results out of it, um, you know, I think their form in terms of results will be inconsistent for the rest of the season. But as long as there is a visible improvement in how they actually play, I think that would be okay because they need to get rid of um, Ozil. They need to figure out what's going on with William and Aubameyang. You know, they can't really get rid of them because they're just on new contracts, but they need to be waned out of the skies, the side already. Um, you know, and they're they're down to bad management decisions from the board to to sanction those contracts. That's bad financial stuff going on. So they need to figure out kind of what's going on uh, in strategy in terms of the transfer market. You know, they need to they need to figure that out. Like they they brought in Thomas Parity for forty five million. Was that the best use of forty five million? You know, they need to they need to figure that stuff out as well and assess that as well as assess Arteta. Uh, and they need to be a bit more pragmatic about what they expect. Yeah. They can't. They can't expect top four immediately. They can't expect to to constantly win the cup competitions because they're they're you know they're unpredictable by nature of being a cup competition. So they need to they need to just be steady, be patient, and see where things are going. And you know, I think the only thing that you can really bin Arteta for is um if that if that slump had continued if they just continued losing and yeah. playing terrible football that's when you get rid of Arteta but at the moment you know they've got those results the football has improved I think he's earned an extra six games to see can they steady the ship again and, and I think ninth place wouldn't be the worst thing in the world of Arsenal like obviously it's not what the fans are used to but I think and obviously there's a a section of the Arsenal fan base that will be furious with that because, yeah. you know, we've seen AFTV and, and the kind of ripple effect that that's had in the Arsenal fan base. But I think if they just are patient that Arteta, you know, he's, he's not the worst manager in the league, I don't think. You know, he's, he's, he's the last few performances, I think, have earned him uh, a, a bit of time. Yeah. So I think it's hard to define success because, you know, how do you define success for a team like Crystal Palace? Or, yeah. or or any other mid-table side because at the moment like they did finish eighth last year they have to just accept a couple of years of of being in mid-table like Liverpool accepted that <clears throat> Chelsea um, even finished mid-table jeez my throat's getting really dry right now um, yeah like like uh, just to let you get a drink there like Chelsea yeah. Chelsea finished mid-table and went and won the league the following year you know the and some put that down to the fact they didn't have European football to contend with that season so they could focus on playing the league matches, the 38 league matches were their complete focus that year. Although they did, I think, get to the FA Cup final as well. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I can see what you mean. The other, the other question I had for you, just on Arsenal before we move on, they've already got rid of Kolasinac at, at time recording. Uh, William Saliba's gone to Nice on loan. The Mustafi apparently is up for sale if anyone <laughs> wants to take him off their hands. Ozil is of course up for sale that no one, not that anyone would want to take the wages off of Ozil. Um, like they are clearing house, and it appears the likes of Reese Nelson and Nicola Pepe is going to be for sale. Alexander Lacazette's for sale in the summer, as far as, far as I understand now, that his contract is not going to be renewed. So he has a two year, I think a year and a half left. So in the summer, he is available at a, at a probably a cut down price. You know, so they, they are the plan is to clear house, but you know, what, what, what would their next strategy be? I know what you're saying that they have to be pragmatic in their approach to spending money. They don't have the money that Chelsea have that. You know the the likes of Manchester United have that obviously Man City have. What what is their next move? You know, do do they just invest in the in the academy and ride the wave of that and hope for the best, or do they go out and buy a bunch of old pros for decent knockdown rates, and you know let them carry them through to the next few years, or do they go abroad and invest in 
not that it's that easy post Brexit, but do they invest in the new generations of Nicola Pe- Nicola Pepe's, for instance, and hope this time it works out? Well, I think in in recent transfer windows, they've shown that they they can't be trusted with the big money moves. No. Like Pepe, I think, was uh, a pretty obvious failure at this point in time. Anyway, he maybe he does turn it around. I, I don't know, but it doesn't look like he will. And, and he costs a lot of money. Like uh, I think Partey's a good player. I just don't know. <clears throat> was he the player that Arsenal needed? He's been injured, so it's hard to judge how much of an impact he's actually having on the team at the moment. So I think they kind of need to do a blend of, of that. I think, you know, they do have really good youth prospects coming through. Um, you know, they were able to sign Martinelli from Brazil. They were able to bring through Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe now the last few games. Like I think if they can do a blend of that... And continue to bring through like I, I quite like Reese Nelson actually, and and um, apparently he's for sale. If anyone wants, what what's he hasn't the name been in any of the Arsenal squads? Even though he's Maitland Niles, yeah, Maitland Niles as well has been has been quite useful. Um, yeah. So I think you know they need to be able to do that, and then being able to just try be shrewd in the transfer market. Like they, there are a lot of players who are out of contract both this summer and next summer. So if they can maybe try pick up a few bargains here and there, but it's yeah. going to be difficult. Like that's easier said than done. Um, Jim Miller, so, you know, he, he he's due yeah. to go down south. Uh, I'd be surprised if uh, James Miller doesn't go back to Leeds at this point, just because that's Possibly, that's harsh. Yeah. But. Yeah. Uh, or is that where he's from? Has he actually played for Leeds? Is he not from Newcastle? Is that not where he's from? I think his dad is a Leeds fan. I think is the connection that the sub connection with James Milner and Leeds. But he did sign. Not. I remember seeing a picture of him and Terry Venables in like two thousand and two. Um, so he did sign for for Leeds back in the day. Um, yeah. So youth career was at Leeds. He's born in Leeds. So yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah. Leeds. So I think it, I think it's a long road back for Arsenal because it's just not that easy to become. Uh, a team that ends up back in the top. Like I think certain sides are kind of insulated from it more so. Like I think Man United can buy their way back to the top in a way that Arsenal can't. Chelsea can do it as well. So can Man City uh, if things were to tumble. But when you look at Liverpool and Leicester, the way that and Tottenham as well, of course, the way that they've kind of climbed up to the back, back to being near at the top of the table, or in Liverpool's case, actually winning the title. I think they're going to have to try follow that model. Uh, they can't just buy their way back to the top because they can't afford it. No. No. Um, so I think that they need to try look at what those clubs are doing and try model themselves after that because uh, it it won't it, it it's not something that's going to overturn overnight like they won't suddenly become the best team in the league in in the next two weeks like this is going to be a long process and they've decided that that Arteta is their man uh, to do that with um, so they need to just kind of back him as as much as they can as long as things are going well and um, you know like it, it's. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see where they go from here because it's not gonna be easy. Um, you know, uh, Man United have kind of gotten back up to being at the top of the table right now because they're able to buy Bruno Fernandez, they're able to buy Paul Pogba, and 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 Arsenal can't do that. So yeah. uh, that's where I think they kind of move going forward is they need to just try and model themselves after the clubs like Liverpool and Tottenham and Leicester that have climbed up the table. True, true. Uh, but Man City also beat Chelsea as we said three one. Uh, it was it was a lot more commanding than than the Arsenal win. So, do you think this is a sign that City are back, or is this just more inconsistency from them? Well, the table is so funny because when we last looked at the table and last looked at our expectations for who would win the league, we kind of ruled City out because they were so far behind already. They'd and we were like, "There's no way Liverpool are going to drop X amount of points while Man City gain X amount of points." And here we are now, and they and that exact eventuality has happened. City, if they win their games in hand, I think will go top of the table, which I don't know if anyone believed. But at the same time, 
you can well imagine City winning all of their games in hand. It's it's not outside the realm possibility at all. There's not many teams in the Premier League that really can do City that way. Um, though especially the way they're playing in the last few weeks when they have played. Uh, so realistically, despite the fact that I don't think they're anywhere near where they were last season or the season before that when they won the league, that they are in contention again. Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty fair assessment. Like it was a, like, as I said, like it was commanding win. Like they didn't just kind of win one nil in a, in a in a similar way to that they drew nil all at Old Trafford. Like they were easily better than Chelsea. Like and, and uh, some of that might be down to the fact that, as we said, Chelsea are in poor form at the moment and they were a bit vulnerable. But uh, City took advantage of that so easily. Like it was three nil after what thirty five minutes, and honestly, three one flattered Chelsea in this game. Uh, the second half was very much City just kind of passing the ball around, you know, just just maintaining the form, keeping keeping Chelsea at arm's length away from them, you know, preventing them from kind of any kind of rousing comeback that they they have done in the past. Um, so you know, it, it it was the kind of form that kind of puts the rest of the league at notice. Uh, yeah. You know, City are back and they're here. You know, it was that kind of performance. So uh, it was fun to see City play that well again. It was that third goal. Like I think we should talk about that third goal. It was so funny, yeah. Uh, especially because it falls to Raheem Sterling, who everyone knows is just not good in this exact situation where he's loads yeah. of time to figure out what to do and and just has to remain composed in front of the keeper and and get around them or get the ball past them into the net. He he takes so long to get a shot off and hits the post. And Chelsea still can't get the ball yeah. out. It still falls to a City player and Kevin De Bruyne with a nice finish. Like, I think it was just so funny because it summed up so much about both Chelsea and specifically Raheem Sterling. Yeah. Uh, that goal. So it was just quite funny. And then, yeah, as I said, the second half, they were just comfortable. Uh, and it, it's interesting as well that you bring up the two games in hand. If they do, if if they were to play those two games in hand right now and win them both, they would be top of the table. But it doesn't quite work out that way in real life. Uh, yeah. They play Aston Villa and Everton in those two games. Like they are currently what uh, seventh and eighth in the league. But both teams have looked good at times this season. They've both gotten really good results this season. Yeah. Uh, they they will not be a gimme of uh, six points by any means. Um, so no, it's and, just and, the way you feel with City. You know that they can they can go on those runs. They're capable of going on those runs in the way that I don't think Manchester United are. I don't think you know Leicester City would definitely you wouldn't count on them winning these matches. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree with that. Like City are maybe the most the team you you most fear in the league. We'll do that because we want to we want an exciting title race. We don't want to see City just run away with it. Um, but they are the team I think at the moment most likely to just win seven games in a row, and that's that. Um, and this is the performance that really exposes why people think that. Um, because they can just turn it on right there. Um, you know, we did mention as well that they did have the the rest by not having to play everything because of the the coronavirus situation going on there but it is involved in the club like they they were missing players in that game as well so it wasn't it wasn't just as simple as they they had a free free game to rest like they they've had a lot going on on their plate there yeah, they had to close their training um center so they weren't actually able to train in the in the time either so um so like there there's a lot going on there and the fact that they'll have to play these two games somewhere in the calendar might also go against them as well long term because like they could end up having to play a week where they play friday monday thursday and sunday or something like that yeah um which would be terrible no team could really get through that i don't think no not even man city so like uh long term i i do worry that this could just be uh, a flash of brilliance that's then suddenly 
we're reminded that oh actually this team's not been great at times this season like they they obviously have the cup games coming up soon but like they do play i think it's everton they they play that game in hand coming up in the in the break before i i keep looking at the the Chris, the, the upcoming premier league schedule and i keep getting confused by it cuz it's so weird um but i think the next few games i think they they might be able to carry this form through because they're sp- spread out a bit better um and they're less significant in importance because you know like it's a Carling Cup game it is a semi final but it's still a Carling Cup game or a Carabao Cup game or whatever and it's a and an FA Cup game like they are less important so they can they can take those a bit easier um but I think when we get to February and the Champions League comes back that's when we'll really get to see um the title credentials of the city side yeah and as we said like that's what we believed was their goal all along was the Champions League this season. Uh, and then finally, uh, on Christmas Eve, it came out that PSG were sacking Thomas Tuchel following a 4-0 win. Uh, against Joe Camarino. Yeah, against, uh, I can't remember which uh, league side it was, but it was a 4-0 win was his last game, I believe. And uh, Maurizio Pochettino has now come in and, and replaced him. Uh, how do we see that working out for PSG? I like It's as good as it could have been, really, for PSG, because like it's it's... A guy that not only is a is a highly sought after manager, a guy that you know was was sought after by other you know desired by other teams, the likes of Real Madrid, the likes of Manchester United, definitely have been in contact. Even Bayern Munich were interested in him at, at certain points in the last couple of years. So getting him was a bit of a coup, but also he has that connection with the with the club. He played for PSG when they were not necessarily the they weren't the worst team in the world by any stretch. They had Ronaldinho, they had Mikel Arteta, they had Pochettino. Uh, they had JJ Okacha, you know, the, they were they were a decent side, but they weren't what they are now. And it's a guy that kind of, it's it's what they've been looking after. He's not there just for the money. He does have something else, um, some other tangible link to the club. With that as well, he, he seems to very much be a guy that's on the side of these big name players. He seems to be able to get the best out of out of these genius players that are very individually, like there, there was a lot of clips going around of him talking about Deli Alley and the way he he got at Deli Alley inside his head and and nurtured him and brought him along. And if you could imagine the same thing being done with Neymar, maybe Neymar could actually hit new levels that we haven't seen before at PSG. Um, and there's other players like that in the PSG side and other players that the PSG could still sign. Um, I think they're a lot of a long way away from being a Pochettino type of team at the moment. I think probably. They could well win the league on between now and the end of the season, the way France is and the, the power of PSG. But I think it'll be next season before we see him actually engage in, in Pochettino kind of football. There's been breaches of COVID protocol, games postponed, further lockdown restrictions, rumours, speculation, accusations and actual positive cases. Through it all, football will seemingly continue and the FA Cup will even go ahead as planned with the third round this weekend. It was an uncertain two weeks of will they or won't they as clusters emerged at various clubs, but can football cope with the rising cases or should it be stopped? Well, our, our listeners are probably be in a better position to answer this than we will. Like By the time that this is out, by the time they're listening to us, something could have changed. That's how quick moving this is. At the moment, football is still going ahead at the time of recording. Boris Johnson has not stopped that in the UK, for instance. It, um, Women's Super League is even going ahead it's the lower divisions of that are, are not have been stopped, Scotland football is going ahead as far as I know as well um, and there's no plans to cancel the Champions League even if there are travel restrictions co- that are expected to come into play so we wonder how that will be affected in February 
if teams will be able to travel in and out of the UK for Champions League games. Um, it'll be very interesting by the time we get there, but I suppose we're taking each week as it comes. I it, it it's it's strange now because I think it, football has just become just another avenue of society. It's not different anymore. It was for a while. It was an elite status. It was oh these guys are looking after themselves. They're getting tested every few days. They're being very careful. They're they're professional athletes. I think that mystique has fallen. I think a lot of these players have had and they're not foreign nationals and they're not just English players. It's everybody I think uh, has been taking it a bit too for granted that they're not going to get sick and having parties, having get togethers like Benjamin and Mendy, you know, they're, they're, you know, he had that new year's party that was reported by the sun, but also the, the Argentinian players, South American players in London uh, led by the Spurs uh, contingent kind of had their own thing. The Brazilian players at Arsenal were alleged to have had festivities over Christmas. You know, we don't, Kyle Walker, Jack Grealish, all of these players have done their things as well in the past. It, it seems that they're 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 not behaving the way that they should, and the, and it's it's not going to finish well for them. And if they do that, and if they're cut out again for continuing doing that, I can I can't see football not being cancelled again. Yeah, and uh, football, as and we've we've mentioned this ad nauseum at this point, but football has really done very little. I think to kind of make any form of compromise, even when you when you think about the fact that like the FA Cup is going ahead as normal, and we're going to see teams from the Premier League play against teams in League Two and League One, where there are huge clusters of cases going on yeah. over there. That's that doesn't seem like a, a a way to keep everyone safe. Um, you know, we're seeing you know the the international football go ahead as planned, and the Euros are seemingly going ahead as planned, and how does that work? Like that's that doesn't seem feasible in the present moment. That you know, obviously, hopefully, more people will be vaccinated by then. But we, you know, why would we prioritize vaccinating athletes um, yeah. over people that actually are vulnerable and need it? So we can't assume the that they will be vaccinated by then because it doesn't look like the vaccine's going to be rolled out that that quickly um, across Europe. So, like, is is it would it be? It doesn't seem like it would be morally justifiable to to have the Euros go ahead, like especially when you consider the fact that an international tournament is, is like it's not it's not like other tournaments. Like you know, a lot of people have kind of said football without fans is nothing, and then there's been a an outcry against that because no footballers care and they they want to win regardless of fans being there. But when I think about an international tournament. And and some of the best moments that comes out of an international tournament it is seeing fans of Ireland hang out with fans of Sweden and and, and the Irish fans serenading them with uh, ABBA songs like that. That is a part of an atmosphere. Like a lot of yeah. uh, you know the, the World Cup is always like oh you know we get to see uh, this country you know we get we got to go to South Africa and we get to see part of their culture as well as getting exciting football or in the case of South Africa pretty dull football but like the Vuvuzela though the Vuvuzela yeah we were introduced to the Vuvuzela and we quickly all learned to hate the Vuvuzela <laughs> yes it's the noise. noise alright but it, but also like it's what made that World Cup unique like if you go back and you look at a at a World Cup clip you can quickly pretty quickly identify that oh this was the 2010 World Cup because it was in South Africa and we all learned what the Vuvuzela was and and that was like that was unique and it was it was important uh, you know, we all hated the Vuvuzela at the time, obviously, because it was—it sounded annoying. Annoying. We trying annoying. To watch it. I didn't uh, mind it at the time, but going back, it's awful. Yeah, at the t- I, I'm the same. Like going back, it just—it just—it hurts. Um, yeah, 
it's oh, a very it's a noise. that are listening but it was very hard to listen to um yeah. but again it's also what made that an important world cup because we got to see a part of south africa's culture and and, and it made it unique as i said and and this is and this is the case with every tournament you know when we go to ukraine and poland we get to see a bit of poland and we get to see a bit of ukraine even to an yeah, extent with Russia, you know there was Obviously, yeah. there's a lot going around with Russia and Qatar, but it's important that we get to go to other countries and uh, they get to be in the spotlight. But with this Euros, it's uh, it's a complete catastrophe. Like, we're not seeing anything of any country because there's no singular host as of right now. Um, well, we'll see about that. And yeah, if it does go to a host nation, um, we won't get to see anything of that country and we won't get to see other people going to that country and experiencing it for the first time or the second time or the first time in a big group of fans anyway. Um, Cause like that, that was a big part of, of, of all the country. Like in France, it was a big part of that Euros of getting to see the Russian and the English hooligans fighting each other. Like that was a big part of that, that, that Euros. And as I said, Ireland and Sweden serenading each other, like uh, getting, we, we won't get that with this euro so then the question becomes what is the point of it obviously there's money involved because there's money involved with everything uh, and money is largely the reason why there's been absolutely no compromise but like how much money are the teams getting from the fa cup like obviously it doesn't matter to the premier league clubs it does matter to the likes of league one and league two but yeah. that's just a symptom of a broken system that it, it matters to uh, a club like Luton Town that they're able to get a replay where they get to go to Old Trafford and they get the TV revenue, but they won't even get the crowd revenue, which is usually a big uh, aspect of of why uh, replays are so financially viable. There won't even be replays this time. This is one of the few compromises uh, that they've actually made is there won't be any replays in the FA Cup this year. But uh, it begs the question, why is there an FA Cup at all this year? Like, do we need it this year? Wimbledon was cancelled last year. Um, you know, like the, the that's one of the most traditional tournaments in England. The Olympics was cancelled um, or postponed. Like uh, society can live without these tournaments for a year. Um, like the Premier League is a different beast because there's so much more money involved and it has proven itself to be viable because the clubs are able to stay in a bubble more easily because there's a greater level playing field of actual access to testing and the likes of that. And uh, and I think the Premier League clubs proved that they can continue, um, although maybe they've done, uh, they've made a few arguments against that recently. Um, so it, it made sense for the Premier League to come back and start the season this year. But the FA Cup, the League Cup, um, you know, the international breaks, they they haven't done enough to justify that happening. And now that's coming back to bite them because now we're seeing actually that the the virus is more transmissible that's actually started in the uk as well which is very unlucky for the for the premier league itself there's not really much you can do about that but now we're seeing maybe players who were getting away with things they were trying over the summer now being punished because it's that much easier to pick up the virus in places now and uh and and as well like the players are uh, the backlash to the players is obviously the f- the fan uproar has been big, but like Crystal Palace captain Luka Mijovic for uh, the next game after he, it came out that he breached uh, lockdown protocols. Uh, Sergio Reguilon was on the bench against Leeds after it came out that he went to a New Year's Eve party. Um, yeah. And at the same time, we're seeing players get banned for other things that are less frivolous, um, like, uh, you know, just stupid red cards that probably aren't being overturned or uh, there's the stuff going on with Cavani as well, which is is quite strange. Um, like the Uruguayan, yeah, we won't even go into the Uruguayan FA releasing 
but, a condemnation but, of his ban, which is odd. We see, we see, like, and I think that ban, you know, we don't need to go into the merits of whether it was deserved or not. But if, if the FA think that, uh, you know, something racist, uh, should be banned, then, and I think that's fair enough. Like, if someone says something racist, I think that's fair enough of, to get a ban. But similarly, if someone puts the game into disrepute by getting the virus and spreading it to his team for doing something against lockdown protocol, I think that also is justified yeah. in getting a ban. But they're breaking the law. It's not only that they're breaking protocol. Yeah. At this point in the I, UK, it's breaking the law. At the moment, it's been dealt with internally by the clubs, and I, I just don't see why that's the case. Like, it, it, if we give the clubs the the leeway to do that then it could end up with the whole league being suspended and i don't think anyone really wants that um like obviously at the moment it looks really bad in the uk there's a lot of cases going on where we're in ireland where it's it's similarly quite bad but not to the same extent um but in the uk it is it is dreadful what's going on over there like the the situation is not really under under control or it doesn't look under control so um, like it is a bad look that football is kind of continuing while everyone in Scotland is being told to stay at home. Like there's there's that like it's gotten to that extent that people yeah. have to actually stay home. They're not allowed to even go outside to exercise. It seems like. Um, so uh, it looks bad. The football is continuing while there's cases in football. So yeah. um, I think that it needs to start getting a lot stricter. They need to start figuring things out with the calendar. They need to figure out compromises. And I think the Euros is, is probably the biggest thing that needs to be figured out because should it go ahead this year? I don't think so. No, unless, unless things dramatically improve and we have it in one place. And, you know, there, there there's a lot of things that could make it possible. But yeah, at the moment, if it was to start in January or February, I don't think it would be possible. And I've actually just seen a headline that there's been 40 positive cases in the latest round of testing um, from 2,295 players and staff. 40 uh, have come back positive, uh, which is the most amount we've seen. Like, maybe football will be cancelled by the time you, you were listening to this. I don't know, but... Uh, oh, they used a picture of someone spraying a football. That's quite strange. Um, but, like, that's, you know, that's not good that there's 40 players and staff being tested positive. Like, we're seeing it in Fulham... Man City, um, Tottenham and Arsenal have been affected by it as well. Um, like it just doesn't seem sustainable right now. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I don't. I don't know how they're going to keep on going. It doesn't. It 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 seems like I said at the beginning of this piece. The the writing's on the wall. At one one stage or another, we're going to have another cancellation in our in our hands, and I don't think there's anything we can do to avoid it at this point. Yeah, um, I, I, I hope that in the next few weeks, sense comes out and, and, and reason comes out and they realize that, you know, they aren't invincible and that they will need to come up with a plan. Like, we need contingency plans now um, for that inevitable. Like, it, it's not necessarily an inevitability. Maybe football gets away with it. Maybe football is able to continue and the season is finished and, and, and there's no real harm done. But, like, they are also putting the players' lives at risk. Like, what happens if a player who tests positive or a staff member who tests positive actually dies? Like, that is... Is that worth it? Like, it's... No, it's, it's it, yeah. And they're leaving themselves open to that potentially happening. And, uh, you know, I, I, I fear I fear the worst at the moment that, that things could really escalate. Like, 40 is a big jump from 18, which was a big jump in itself. Um, like, you know what if one of those players is someone that played recently and they actually had it while 
playing and they've given it to another player. Like it's unlikely, but it's possible. And and it was it was last March when Arteta and uh, Callum Hudson and Doyle tested positive that kind of sent everything shut down. And obviously, the systems have been put in place that they've been able to keep going with the with the odd player testing positive up to now. But with this new strain, it feels like maybe they need to take a few weeks off. Maybe the FA Cup needs to be cancelled. Maybe they need to just. Like, they definitely, not maybe, they definitely need to figure something out because it doesn't look sustainable right now. No, not in any stage. And on that note, um, yeah, we, we end this week's uh, show, the first one. Lifting, uh, we've, we've definitely uh, created a, a niche of ending our show on a, on a very dark and sour note, but uh, that's the society we live in. Yeah, that's... Uh... Uh, at least we're, we're at least hopefully you listeners and we ourselves don't have coronavirus at the moment. We, there's always that silver lining. Yeah, hopefully uh, if you're listening to this, you are you are well, yeah. doing okay at the moment and staying safe. And we urge everyone to stay inside and, and wear a mask uh, yeah. and only go outside for absolutely essential needs because uh, we're almost through this. Like this, you know, to go back to just and to maybe end up on a light note here and to just think more broadly. Like we are almost through this. There is a vaccine. We just yep. need to just get over the line with this. So uh, we're almost there. Uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel. So uh, we just need to be careful. Yep. Good, uh, good news story there at end. Yeah. Uh, on that note, hopefully we will be back next week with football to talk about. Uh, who knows? Uh, if football is cancelled, I suppose we'll do an episode on that as well. So uh, until then, thank you for being here, Andrew. Thank you for being so positive, Dick. <laughs> As always, uh, we we strain, we we strive for uh, positivity here, as as always. But until then, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget to tell your family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. This show can also be found on podcast services, including Spotify, by searching Total Football Podcast. You can also subscribe to my own Substack at declanhart.substack.com where I publish two weekly newsletters that will often go further in-depth on topics discussed during our shows. Those pieces can also be found on Medium at medium.com slash at cheesyheartpun, H-I-R-T-E. You can also follow Andrew on Twitter at combon27 and myself at cheesyheartpun. Most of all, thank you for listening and we hope to be in your download feed next week too. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.